0: Fast and Powerful Relief is just a quick trip away. Find Claritin D at the pharmacy counter. Ask for Claritin D at your local pharmacy counter. You don't even need a prescription. Go to Claritin.com right now for a discount so you can live Claritin clear. Use as directed.
1: Greetings, adventurers. Today we're excited to introduce you to a new story, Dark Dice, a horror podcast that blurs the line between actual play and audio drama, where the story is determined by the role of the dice. Soren Arkwright let loose an arrow that cracked the glass, passing through the spine of the creature. The shambler still managed to maintain its forward momentum, but stumbled as it Ah. eagerly tried to bite and swipe at Soren, landing near his feet. As Jeff Goldblum has now joined our cast, Dark Dice is available. However, you listen to podcasts
0: spanning the nerd world and feeding your fandom. It's time for the
1: Down and Nerdy Podcast.
0: Here's your host, James Witham. Monster season is upon us. It's episode 438 of the Down and Nerdy podcast. I'm James Witham. And you know, Monster, how the movie is going to be coming out next week, October the 6th, to be exact, on Paramount Plus in Nickelodeon. So I wanted to dive right into that. I'm going to talk to Jai Prashkolnick, who plays Cleo in the movie. Yeah, maybe she's the mean girl. Maybe she's not. Maybe she's misunderstood. We'll ask Jai about that and so much more. Going to keep things on the spooky theme this week. Going to talk about Hocus Pocus 2. I'm going to give you my spoiler-free review of that and see if it lives up to the hype. And, you know, of course, we waited so long for it. Yeah, I'm going to be talking about Hugh Jackman back as Wolverine as well and so many other great nerd news stories to talk about. And I've definitely got a few opinions that I need to share this week as well. So let's get moving, shall we? Jai Prishkolnick joins me next to talk about Monster High the movie on the Down and Nerdy Podcast.
2: This is Karen Ashley from Mighty Morphin Power Rangers, and you're listening to Down and Nerdy Podcast.
0: If you have kids or not, you probably know what Monster High is, and you've probably seen if you watch Nickelodeon a lot, like you do in my house with my three kids, Monster High the movie is going to be coming out on October the 6th on Nickelodeon and on Paramount+. And Cleo Denial has graced us with her presence today. It is Jai Prishkulnik. Prishkulnik, excuse me. Jai, how you doing?
2: I'm doing so great, James. Thank you so much for having me.
0: So Jai, I don't know how familiar you are you were with the Monster High franchise or how popular it was when I got this. All I know is when I was at Comic-Con, I was at the Mattel booth and they said free Monster High pins and then all of a sudden, you know, the here came the crowd. So were you aware of just how popular this franchise was?
2: I mean, yes and no. I I know that the fandom is so diverse and really vast, too. There are fans all over the world. I remember growing up seeing the dolls on the shelves at the store, and I remember really wanting them, but my mom thought they were too mature for me. But my cousin had the dolls, and so I, anytime I went over to her house, we would always play Monster High. And even then, I, I think I gravitated more towards Cleo.
0: See, everybody's always got a friend, Or like a cousin that has the toy that they wanted. So you go over their house like a lot to play with it. I see. I know exactly where you're coming from. (laughs) That's amazing. That's amazing. So Cleo kind of described as the undead diva. It's right there on the poster. So how would you describe her though?
2: Okay. I thought a lot about this. I think the three best words to describe her are fierce, sophisticated, and misunderstood. You know, we know Cleo is sort of, the mean girl. She's, she's really popular. She's like the Queen Bee energy. But in this reboot, we sort of see a different side of her. And you see how there are so many layers underneath that. I mean, she is a mummy after all.
0: That is very, very true. So you, you actually say Queen Bee, which I actually have down right here in one of my questions, actually. So, I mean, she's royal. So that means, you know, Queen Bee energy, like you said. But do you think she, do you, does she really deep down want to be your leader, though? Does she want that pedestal, you think?
2: You know, that is a really great question. I know that a lot of her desire for royalty and, and that sort of attention sort of comes from her sibling rivalry with her older sister, Nefera. But whether she really wants it, I think Cleo would make a really great leader. I think she's really good at listening to her peers once she feels accepted. And so I think because of that, she would be really great at taking people's needs and wants into consideration and implementing that in a really fun and immersive way. So I think she would make a really fantastic leader, but I feel like she would also be afraid to fully take on that role.
0: But never show it, I'm sure.
2: Oh, of course not.
0: You would no, no, never no, 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 no. Can't do that. Can't do that. So you talk about the, the whole mean girl thing, and, and Jai, you're, you're a perfectly wonderful person. I can already tell. So how do you even get in that headspace to play this mean girl? Do you draw from like experiences with, with, with girls that you've been involved with in the past, or, or, or do you just say, you know what, I'm just going to throw my own spin on this thing and see what happens?
2: You know, that's a really great question. I actually just saw the movie for the first time last night, private screening, and I was able to bring my dad and he pointed out how Cleo is not unlike some of the other roles that I've played in the past, such as Luna in Disney Plus just beyond. And this feature film I did ages ago called Sense, where I was sort of the, the queen bee mean girl. So I think I am definitely able to draw a lot on those characters and sort of plug in that way, but I'm always learning in acting class that the moment you judge a character, you can never play it. You're taking a step back from the character. So when I'm looking at Cleo, I don't look at her as a mean girl. I'm looking at her actions and her words and the way that other characters describe her. And I'm seeing, okay, what makes this person do what they do? How can I justify her actions? So me personally, I don't really see her as a mean girl. I mean, now objectively watching the movie, I can be like, that was a little sassy but in order to really take on the character you have to think you know why are they doing these things because everything has to make sense from their perspective
0: that makes a whole lot of sense and i like sassy you know just replace it with sassy and you got a whole different perspective on it
2: that's right (laughs)
0: i love that i love it so we see in the trailer at least the last trailer that, that we saw that that cleo actually says in the trailer that the biggest threat to hu- to monsters is human. So how much is that, of course, no spoilers, gonna be a part yeah. of the story of this movie?
2: How can I respond without spoiling anything? Well, I think it's also mentioned in the trailer that Claudine is sort of battling with these two sides of herself, right? There's the, the werewolf side and the human side. So I think that's sort of where the fear of humans comes into play here, but I don't want to spoil too much. Mostly it's about identity, discovering your own identity, feeling confident in it, and reclaiming it and celebrating it.
0: And that's certainly what Monster High has been about from the beginning. So that, that, is, that is definitely a good way to put it. Talking to Jai Prashkolnik, who of course plays Cleo on Monster High the movie. We're going to see that in Nickelodeon and Paramount Plus on October the 6th. You mentioned Claudine, and I know that, you know, again, she's she's the mean girl, but how do you, not necessarily Does how does she get along with the other girls, because I think we kind of figured that, but how do you think she really views the other girls like Claudine and Frankie?
2: I think, at first, Cleo feels threatened because she's sort of been around this community. You know, everyone's entering in as a freshman, however, Cleo has her older sister and her her father has sort of introduced her to this community already mm-hmm. so I think she feels some status in that respect as well and Claudine and Frankie are introduced as these new new ghouls at school right so I think automatically Cleo wants to sort of exert her power and show you know I know what's going on here but over the course of the movie we'll see how their relationships develop and deepen
0: interesting interesting now jai i see that things get musical probably more than once throughout the movie we see that in the trailer as well so did you get to put some of that dance training to good use or what
2: i did oh my gosh this is the most fun i've never done a film musical before so yeah we we had about two weeks of boot camp before we actually started shooting where we had to learn all the dances in two weeks and then we had to put on six to eight inch heels and dance in the heels so i remember the first day we were doing the simplest dance and i went home just sweating and crying like how am i gonna do this in heels but by (laughs) the end of it I mean, everyone was just so supportive and we were all going through it together that by the end of it, I was just popping and locking eight inches off the ground, like it was nothing.
0: That's awesome, that's awesome. Speaking of everybody kind of being in it, what was it like working with this, with the rest of the young cast with CC and Mia and some of the others? Cause it, it just looks like just in the movie, you guys are having fun. I can't imagine what it was like when the cameras weren't rolling.
2: Oh my gosh, truly one of the best experiences I've ever had on set. And we were just talking about this last night when we got to see the movie together. Not every set is like that. you know. Mm-hmm. Not every set is full of people who you are really excited to show up at work with at 3 o'clock in the morning every single day. That's a tough like ask. <laughs> Definitely. But this particular bunch, I mean, not, not only the cast, also the crew and everyone we got to work mm-hmm. with our amazing director and producer, everyone was just so excited to be there. And I think even during the shoot, we knew, we all knew how special what we were doing was gonna be. And we were just so grateful to be a part of it and to contribute our voices and our artistic expressions to this already rich and amazing universe. So it was, I, I don't have a single bad word to say about any of them.
0: I can I can only imagine. We talked about the cat. The character's been around for a while, and Cleo's look a little bit different than what we've seen in the past. So, talk about what the process was like working with the design team and coming up with this look, which I think is really nice.
2: Yeah, I've been reading a lot online about how fans are putting together that this look in the poster is similar to Cleo's iconic full look in "Boo York, Boo York," and. I don't actually know if that was the inspiration, but I wouldn't be surprised because our, our wardrobe team was just so well read in the universe and they were taking inspiration from everywhere. But what I will say is, I mean, so much thought went into every single element of everyone's costumes. In the poster that we see here, the, the neck piece that Cleo wears that, that with the all the intricate beading is actually from Egypt. It was handmade wow. in Egypt. And that wasn't the only piece that was imported from Egypt for Cleo's look. So it was everything was super thoughtful. The the skirt that that Cleo wears there was handmade in-house by our very own fine Italian tailor who made a lot of our costumes.
0: That's incredible. That is so incredible. So I mean, you know, you've got the Mattel name on this too, Jai, and I can't help but wonder. Are there new, new dolls, new toys coming out based on Cleo? And if there are, have you seen them yet?
2: Yes, I mean, I saw the Haunt Couture doll. I'm not sure if that's based on the live action. And then I know that there, are, there have been a few leaked images of the upcoming Cleo dolls. And I, I did see a few prototype photos while I was on set. And I was just like, how is this real? I mean, this is insane. This is me as a doll.
0: You know? That's got to be awesome. And now you're a grown up, so you can buy as many as you want.
2: Yes. yes. <laughs> so excited to stage them and and react all those scenes in doll form.
0: I, I expect a lot of stop motion videos on TikTok or something now that now that you say that. Watch her on the gram. Watch her on social media because the <laughs> that that has to be coming. Now that has to be a thing. Okay. <laughs> John, before I let you go, I mean, it's clear what character that you'd like to play again at some point. You said they're entering as freshmen, so I mean, that there certainly seems like there could be expansion here, but would you love to play her again maybe in live action or even in animation's voiceover if they decided to do that?
2: Yeah, I mean, any opportunity to step back into those strappy platforms, I will take it. I, I love Cleo. She really shaped a lot of You know, my acting process through this role, and it was just so much fun to work with everybody and to to be a part of a story like this. I would absolutely be on board for another opportunity to do that.
0: And just think if it was animation, you could wear whatever footwear you wanted. You wouldn't have to worry about heels heels at all.
2: Come in in some jammies and slippers.
0: (laughs) Ah, see, now you're talking about living the dream. Now you're starting to make me jealous a little bit. But you'll have to find out her look, which is amazing, in Monster High, the movie, which is going to be on Nickelodeon and Paramount Plus on uh, October the 6th. I'd say watch it on both, because especially if you've got kids at home, you're going to be watching it like a billion times anyway, so just buckle up and get ready.
2: Yes, the songs just get stuck in your head, so you're going to want to replay the movie again.
0: Yep, and I'm already ready for that as well. Jai Skolnick, thank you so much for joining me. I appreciate it.
2: Thank you so much.
0: And I can tell you that my son has been bugging me for weeks to see Monster High, the movie, it's just one of those things where the, the, the fandom's been waiting for this for so, so long now. I think that the hype is, is not only real, I think it's at a fever pitch right now. So I think that Paramount Plus, Nickelodeon, The Place is going to want to be October the 6th. That is when Monster High, the movie is going to premiere. I think it's just the start of a lot of great Monster High things coming up. From Nickelodeon. Again, thanks to Jai Praskolnik for joining me to talk about Monster High, the movie, which is coming to Paramount Plus in Nickelodeon. Up next, how about a spoiler-free review of Hocus Pocus 2 to see if that lives up to the hype. I'll talk about that next on the Down and Nerdy Podcast.
2: This is Shay Fontana, writer for DC Superhero Girls, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast.
1: Contained herein are the heresies of Randolph Buntwein. Ustwhile monk turned traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world that ours is not a loving God and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwein, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available.
0: After a couple of decades, the witches are back. Hocus Pocus 2 is now streaming on Disney+. Plus. I'm going to give you my spoiler-free review of this, just in case you haven't had a chance to watch it yet. I certainly don't want to ruin it for you. And yes, the lovely ladies of the cast are back. Bette Midler, Sarah, Jessica Parker, and Kathy Kathy Jimmy are back as Winnie, Sarah, and Mary, respectively, the Sanderson sisters. And this actually takes place in modern-day Salem, but you get some backstory in this as well, which I think is kind of neat. We get to see the young Sanderson sisters and how they sort of became the witches that they are today, or at least what led them to be that. Anyway, so I thought that was a really neat way to begin things. I thought this movie started off really, really well actually with that and taking that trip backwards and reintroducing us to the sisters. And then you hit the modern day and you've got Becca, Izzy, and Cassie, who are three friends who live in Salem. They're teenagers. And of course, Salem always has this big celebration every year, being Salem, you know, Halloween the big time for them to celebrate and, you know, get into the whole history. But this movie had a little bit of an identity crisis, if I'm being honest, because I actually got drawn in by this friendship between Becca, Izzy, and Cassie. And it's a bit of a fractured friendship. I won't tell you why, but there's, you know, they're teenagers. You can you can almost guess what the reason would be with why three group of girls wouldn't be the, uh, friends the way they used to be. And they've been friends since they were very, very little. So there's something happening around Halloween that they do every year. But this time, it's a little bit different. And you've got Gilbert who runs the magic shop in town in Salem, and he's a part of this as well. And this movie kind of gets off track a little bit because there was, it looked like they were going to focus on the story between the three girls, which you say, okay, well, you're, it's hocus pocus too. Let's focus on the Sanderson sister. Let's focus on the witches and do that. Right. And, but they, they had a chance to kind of be able to do both but then they pushed and pulled a little bit. It's like, okay, we're gonna go in this direction. Now we're gonna go in this direction. Now we're gonna go in this direction. So there was plenty of focus on on the witches, but at the same time, it, it, there were these stories of these new characters that I started to get interested in. And it's like, there were times in this movie where they like, nah, you know what? Ne- never mind. we're not gonna do that. But then they would get back to it for a little bit. Then they would kind of push it to the side again. So I found myself wanting to know more about Becca and Izzy and Cassie and their story And but sprinkle in the Sanderson sisters. And instead, there were times where it felt heavy on one and not the other necessarily. And they were trying to kind of have their cake and eat it too, talk, you know, adding more depth to the Sanderson sisters stories as well. And then, of course, you throw Billy Butcherson in there and there was plenty of fun. To be had there. I'm not saying that this is a bad movie, by the way. It's it's just it's a little bit all over the place. And if that doesn't bother you, then don't worry about it. You're going to enjoy this. This this has a lot of things that you liked about the original Hocus Pocus. There's certainly a musical element to this. I won't spoil any of that for you. There's more depth that's added to the original movie. That again, like I said, because of the backstory there, the new characters are actually good. And their story makes sense once everything sort of starts to round out. And how the town is, too. The dynamic of the town is very interesting. And Tony Hale's character of the mayor, how he ties in to this whole thing. And Tony Hale's just good in these kinds of roles, too. Tony Hale just finds a niche. And he works at it so, so well. These kind of quirky characters that he plays. I, I always enjoy the little bits that we get to see of him in movies like this he really, really adds something to it. But but again, it's I kind of wished we got more from these young characters in the middle of the movie. And I, of course, when you bring characters that are from another time into the modern time, you kind of know what's going to happen there, right? There's going to be this whole fish out of water element a little bit. I'll be honest, I could have done without that. There were a couple of very funny moments in this movie, though, that had to do with that. I'm not gonna lie; there were a couple of very clever things that the writers and the director did. And had a choice to do, and they and they brought it out. And I thought it was very, very funny. One of them involves, you know, witches fly on brooms, right? Well, there's there's something there's something to that. I won't spoil it, but that was one of the more funny moments in the movie for me. But there's a, again a very likable cast. I thought they did a really good job bringing the present day element into this thing. This had a, this movie ended up having a deeper meaning than I thought it would at the end. I thought the ending did at least make sense. And yes, there is a post-credit scene too, by the way. I'm not going to spoil that for you. But yes, there is a post-credit scene that you're going to want to pay attention to for sure. And I'm not going to, again, I won't give you any hints or anything. I just want you to be watching out for that. But again, a lot of the elements are there that you like from the from the original movie. They don't go too heavy. On winks and nods to the first movie, which I thought was smart, they actually try to tell their own story in this thing, which I thought was a really, really good move. I thought the character designs were extremely good, especially for the Sanderson sisters. It felt like you were kind of right back in to that vibe. But again, I just kind of wish they would have picked a lane and stuck with it. I I wish they would have been a little bit more gutsy to give us a little bit more from these newer characters that, you know, I got to give Whitney Peake and Melissa Escobedo especially, who play Becca and Izzy, their chemistry together was fantastic, I thought. And I think it was really kind of their performance that made me want to see more from that pairing. And then when you bring in Lelia Buckingham in as well as Cassie, and you see the three of them together, that really added something for me. And it's like, I really wanted to see more of this. So it's not necessarily that I didn't want to see the Sanderson sisters. It's just that I was, I unexpectedly was given these new characters that I enjoyed and I wanted to see more of them as well. And there was only so much time to be dealt out here. So Hocus Pocus 2, I'll go ahead and say not perfect, but better than I expected. And I'm curious to see how you feel about these newer characters, but I think that this is a good addition the story. I don't think it does anything to kind of tarnish the original, like some of some of these, you know, decades long, decades later sequels have done. I think it a- actually adds a little bit to it. And I think again, if you enjoyed the original, I do think that you'll enjoy this one as well. That's going to do it for my spoiler free review of Hocus Pocus Two. Up next, let's get to some nerd news and have a little bit of fun while we're at it. I'm James Witham, and this is the Down and Nerdy Podcast.
2: Hey, this is Kobe Bell from the Giftus, and you are listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast.
0: Marvel fans finally getting something that they've been waiting for forever. It's time for nerd news, and I'll include myself in this because, you know, it's always fun when Ryan Reynolds and Hugh Jackman kind of jab at each other. Now they're going to be doing that on screen in the MCU, as well as revealed in a couple of very hilarious videos by Ryan Reynolds. Wolverine will be joining Deadpool 3, yes, played by Hugh Jackman. And the two will have what I can only imagine is one bloody good time. And now we know that Deadpool 3 is going to be coming out on September the 6th, 2024. So we've got plenty of time to kind of, you know, get this thing going and start the hype machine, which, you know, with Ryan Reynolds is not a difficult thing to do. We saw the the gray Deadpool suit that he kind of teased in that video, and even in a, in the pregnancy photo with his wife as well, which I thought was pretty funny too. But that's just what these guys do. And of course, they don't reveal anything about the plot other than the fact that, hey, since Logan takes place in 2029, that's how this makes sense, and you can do a movie like this. Does this undo Hugh Jackman's last appearance as Logan, as Wolverine? though? was one question that I sort of have. It, to kind of get away from the fun of this, a little bit because that's how you want to go out, right? You want to go out on such a high note like that. And Logan was such a great movie and such a great way to sort of end Hugh Jackman's story as Wolverine. Now, bringing him back into this, maybe this in a very, very different role in a very different way we've seen Wolverine and then we have in the past, maybe this doesn't tarnish that because it'll be so different. But at the same time, it's almost like the whole, you know, do you bring back Chris Evans as Captain America? Do you bring back Tony Stark? You bring back Robert Downey Jr., which I'll get to in a second with another story. But I kind of don't think that this tarnishes it because I think this is something that probably should have been done a long time ago. Of course, they tried to do it once and royally screwed it up. So it's almost like writing a wrong instead of it being wrong, bringing Hugh Jackman back, if that makes sense. Plus, I mean, just the, the off screen relationship between Ryan Reynolds and Hugh Jackman I think is really going to add to this anyway and these guys are going to go all out to make this a what it should be and B, just something super super fun whether it be like a buddy road trip type thing or just a bloody all-out war between Wolverine and Deadpool and you know where's that common ground going to be I think it's going to be another interesting factor in this as well. And where this goes, who knows? I think it's too early to speculate, you know, what the story could be, you know, why these two are crossing paths, anything like that. Is Deadpool 3 going to be the gateway to the X-Men in the MCU? I don't know. We're talking about 2024 here. Uh, Are they going to wait that long? I don't know that they'll wait that long. I think they'll figure out a way to kind of work the X-Men in before that. But I mean, could it be a good gateway? I I think it certainly could if they decided they wanted to wait that long and, you know, gear up for Secret Wars and, and things like that it certainly could make sense and 2024 is not that far away but i kind of feel like they're going to want to get something in there a little bit sooner but i'm all for this i think that this is something that that any marvel fan would be lying if they said they didn't want or wasn't or weren't looking forward to so let's just be happy that we're getting this in the short term and then we'll worry about the long term when it gets there you just got to be happy in the moment sometimes right this was an interesting little tidbit of Marvel Studios news that came out this week that's really flown under the radar, I think, and that is that Armor Wars is going to be a movie now instead of a Disney Plus series. This was first reported by The Hollywood Reporter, the movie that's, now going, to, that's going to be fronted by Don Cheadle, as Rhodey is is now going to be a movie instead of that Disney Plus series, which means instead of being like, say, six-hour, eight-hour show, it's going to now be a two-plus-hour movie. Now they just hyped this to D23 as a series. So this is something that was recently decided. Why? That's the question that I have to ask about this is why, and does this have something to do with recent Disney plus series? I'm not going to bash She-Hulk. I promise. Cause it was actually, it was actually decent this week. They kind of got back on track and, and made, had a really good episode that meant something. But at the same time, do they look at something like She-Hulk and go, man, this drug on too long? This really drug on too long. We didn't have to make it this long. What if we shortened it up? And maybe you look at something like Armor Wars and say, maybe this is one of those times that we should shorten this thing up and it'll matter more if we make this a movie instead of making it a series. Now, this probably means it gets pushed back because you got to make you know some changes there and things like that. But again, is that a huge deal? I don't know that it is. Also something to think about, though, I just mentioned it a couple seconds ago. Does this have anything to do with the potential return of Robert Downey Jr. as Tony Stark, as Iron Man? Even if it's in like a flashbacks type of situation, is this something that we could see? And is this something that you'd want to see? Because again, it was like the perfect way to go out in that characters. They did so many good things and so many things right in Endgame. Does it tarnish it if you bring back Tony Stark? Let's say that Armor Wars doesn't come out until 2026. Or, or, some, or around that time frame. Now, let's say it's after Deadpool 3. Is that enough time to, say, not have Tony Stark, bring him back and make it make sense, make it memorable? Or do you have to wait as long as like a Secret Wars or even further down than that, the Multiverse Saga, things like that? Do you have to wait until then to be able to do something like that? I don't know. I, I'm very torn on this because of how much I love Robert Downey Jr. in that role. But at the same time, I don't want to see that that tarnished. It's, you want to talk about perfect exits. Iron Man certainly had one, for sure. If anybody had perfect exits, it was Iron Man and Cap. Those two had completely perfect ends to their story. I don't know that you want or need to bring them back. And I'm not sure that that's the reason that they're doing this. Anyway, I think legitimately they decided that, you know, a series was probably too much story and there'd be, you know, too much filler there. So, you know, why not make this a movie and kind of ramp things up a little bit in that regard and and make this have more impact than it would if it drug on for a few episodes and people started to lose interest sort of thing. So this could end up being a good thing in the long run. I think it is. Plus, if it adds to the Marvel Studios cinematic slate, I don't think that's a bad thing. Plus, they don't make this a movie if they don't think it's going to make money. That's the other thing. If they don't think that this is going to draw some big money, you don't do this because you'd lose a lot less money if you had a somewhat successful Disney Plus series than if you put out something in theaters. So that's something to think about as well. We know that we're getting, getting another Walking Dead spinoff, Walking Dead, Dead City. They had a first look reveal at AMC Summit recently. I say first look. That is very much you know, in quotation marks. So you get a couple of shots of Maggie and Negan. Although I do think it's interesting that the series was was described during the summit as an epic hate story. You hear epic love story all the time. This is an epic hate story. These are, you know, polar opposite characters for sure. So you've got Maggie and Negan that are going to be, t- this is going to take place in Manhattan, this series is. And Manhattan was overrun by walkers. The government said, you know what, let's blow the bridges and leave them there. So like no man's land style. So this is going to be 12 years after the city was abandoned to the walkers. And apparently there's like a million walkers walking through the streets of Manhattan and the living that are still there are kind of traversing the city through zip lines and things like that. And That interests me. See these little things. And I say this as somebody who's never been a huge fan of the walking dead. If you've listened to the show in the past, you know that about me because I'm not, I'm not a zombies fan at all. Although they've done some good things within the franchise recently, I have to say that this is the kind of thing that interests me. Tales of the Walking Dead, I thought's been I think's been very good because that was again different. There there were some differences there, and you introduced a, a, a very unique type story. This one too interests me a lot because you're bringing more uniqueness into it, and the fact that you've got these people that are living on the tenth floor of like these high rise buildings and have the zip line everywhere. And what life, what's life like for them? What's the, what's the end game here for Maggie and Negan? And what's the end game of this series supposed to be? That There's intrigue there for me to bring me in. And as a Walking Dead, if you're a longtime Walking Dead fan, you're on the opposite side that I am. You've got to be looking for something new to freshen up this franchise and go, okay, why should I be excited about this? Is it just because you're giving me a couple of familiar characters? Because that probably doesn't work for you anymore that's probably not enough so to bring something like this into the fold i think makes it super super interesting and makes it not only something that longtime fans are going to want to watch right after the 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 actual long running series ends but also something new fans might want to check out because it's different or maybe somebody that's quit on the walking dead years ago because they were just sick of it maybe this brings you back in because a you know the characters but b it's giving you an interesting story that takes you outside of what you've seen for so many years. We'll see this we'll see the series debut next year no release date yet, but I'm really intrigued by this one. Really excited to see where this thing goes. From one series starting to another series not getting its start, according to Deadline, the Grendel adaptation not going to be moving forward at Netflix. Of course, this is based on the Matt Wagner comic book series about Hunter Rolls slash Grendel, who kind of, he's a crime fighter, and then he decides, you know what, the bad guys, they, they seem to be having a lot more profit and a lot more fun at this. I'm going to just, just go ahead and join them. That's that's a very simplified version of what this story is supposed to be about. And, you know, of course, a long running comic series, but not going to be moving forward as a series at Netflix. Abubkar Ali was supposed to play the lead role in the series. Here's the deal, though. First of all, is this series going to find a new home if it's being shopped around? I don't know. This one, again, not a a fully recognizable name as a comic book series. Certainly very popular in the crowd of those who love comics and and, uh, not just because of the story, but because of the art of Matt Wagner as well. This has been one of his more popular series ever. So I'm a little bit surprised that just for that reason, having this cult following, that Netflix doesn't go forward with this, especially since it's a very interesting concept as well. And certainly concept usually gets you a long way. But is this Netflix kind of being a little passive here when it comes to comic book series? Because let's face it, they've had some hits and misses. They've had some big home runs, but they've also had some big strikeouts as well as far as comic book series are concerned. So you might understand why Netflix is a little shy about going ahead and just hitting the green light on every comic book series that comes along. But what was it about this one that made them go, eh, I don't know. And if you're another network, do you look at this and you go, well, if Netflix passed, what are we doing touching this thing? That's also something that you've got to think about too. Although you never know. I don't think I'm not ready to put this one to bed just yet. Although if we don't hear something in the next couple of weeks, I don't think we're going to be getting anything ever. And I don't think this series will ever really see the light of day, which again, I think would be a shame because I think there's a lot of cool character designs here. I think the story is really something that's, that's different or certainly different enough that it should warrant being given a shot. At least it's one season. So I'm a little bit surprised that Netflix decided to boot this one, but there has to be a reason that we don't know about, that we're not being told that this series isn't moving forward. I don't know that we'll ever find out what that reason is. And, and do we need to really? And hopefully this thing finds a new home though, because I was really actually looking forward to this adaptation. And yeah, we'll just, we'll see how it goes. Another rebranding is happening for a network. You know, Epics, of course, have talked about the Billy the Kid series and many other shows that have been on, on Epics. It's going to be rebranded now as MGM+, Plus starting in January of 2023. The first show that's going to be on the new brand is season three of Godfather of Harlem. Of course, the first two aired on Epix. That's going to be coming out in mid-January, so that'll be the first series to debut under the new banner, but they're going to continue their scripted series. It's not like they're pushing that to the side, which is is good to know because anytime you see a rebranding, renaming like this, you think, oh boy, here we go. They're going to change everything about what they are And it's going to be a completely different thing. Well, no, they've actually announced some new shows like Hotel Cocaine, Belgravia, which you might remember is a limited series. Belgravia, the next chapter is going to continue that. They've also got an untitled Amityville Murders docuseries that's going to be coming out. Billy the Kid is still going to be part of their plans there as well. And some of the other scripted series that they're still airing on the network. So I think that it's interesting that they're doing this. And I guess the reason being is you got a more recognizable name on there in MGM than Epix because Epix has always been kind of like the throw in for your cable package, right? If you still have standard, if you still have cable and you don't have like basic cable, Epix is kind of the movie channel where they go, you know what, just go ahead, have this, just, just, just take it. And at least that's been my experience when, when I've gotten cable Anyway, is that they just kind of throw that one in there. And I appreciate that because they've always had some good movies on epics as well. So I'm not I'm certainly not complaining when you're going to go ahead and do that for me. But at the same time, MGM is a more recognizable thing. And since everybody's just sticking a plus sign at the end of everything, that is something that, again, it'll perk your, your 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 eyes up and your ears up if you're somebody who's not deeply into movies the movie and TV world like i am so if you're just a casual viewer you're going to see the MGM and you're going oh that's the one with the lion right you know MGM you don't necessarily know what epics is so knowing the MGM brand might make you want to watch that network more so or that or download that app more so than you it would be if you just see epics and epics is not a bad name it's a cool name but at the same time you're you don't know what that is and you don't know what you're going to expect When you go there, but you know, MGM, that brand has been around for years. So sometimes it's all about branding. And I think that that is the, is the, is the idea here to go ahead and give you, give it a more recognizable brand name and just see what happens. Of course, you know, they've lost Pennyworth. Pennyworth is going to be debuting on HBO max here in a week or two. So that was kind of a bummer. But at the same time, they've got some good shows and movies on what's now going to be mgm plus so i'm looking forward to this change to see if it actually makes a difference see if it helps them ramp up things a little bit more as opposed to backing off when changes like this seem to be made because it seems like they're doubling down more than they are backing off so i think that you know this is the that last ditch effort to kind of do something that they really want to do to showcase their original programming that's going to do it for this week's edition of the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Again, thanks to Jai Pershkolnick for joining me to talk about Monster High, the movie. Can't wait to see that on Paramount Plus on October the 6th. Make sure you're following us online as well, downandnerdypodcast.com, at downandnerdy757 on Twitter and Instagram, and at downandnerdy on Facebook, at downandnerdypod on TikTok as well. Don't forget, we're also part of the Realm Network. You can download and listen to us on the Realm app as well. If you want to, a lot of other great shows on there as well. Blood and Gold, new show that just debuted, actually really, really good. Make sure you're checking that out while you're at it. And don't forget, very important, you never have to apologize for being a nerd. So let your fan flag fly and be good to your fellow nerds.
1: Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it,